Today is our 30th anniversary celebration, and we are so excited to have Jay Wolf joining us here in just a moment, uh, bringing our message for today. Uh, But the past 30 years have been so incredible. God has worked and moved and done so much over those 30 years, and uh, we're excited to celebrate that today, but also to look forward to what the Lord is going to be doing next. And so recently, we had several folks that have been at Vaughn Forest for any length amount of time. It could vary in amounts of time, maybe before the church even started all the way up to maybe just started visiting uh, a couple of years ago. And those folks came up here, and they, we put together a video. Our team did a great job with this, and we would like to show you guys this video this morning as we celebrate all that the Lord has done over the, ne- over the last 30 years. And then Jay Wolf is going to come with our message for today. So once again, please turn your attention to the screens. I actually helped find a church in this area through serving on the Montgomery Baptist Associational Missions Committee. I'm the pastor emeritus at First Baptist Church of Montgomery. I was a member at First Baptist Church. And we had a map at the associational office with all the churches that were in the Montgomery County area. We just recognized that the community was growing eastward. So Buddy and I got together and said, Buddy, it's time for First Baptist to start another church and we'll put our money where our mouth is. Uh, I will propose in the new budget, which we put together every fall, $25,000 to be the seed money to start a new church. So it was a very exciting time. It was also a scary time because none of us knew what we were doing. What was amazing, by the time the church became a full member of our Montgomery Baptist Association, and that was in the fall of 1994, the church, as a newborn church, less than a year old, had 185 members, enrolled 305 people in Sunday school, and had already baptized 22 people. That's pretty good for a baby church. What a growth in our spiritual lives because we had to rely completely on God. We started visiting and um, loved the passion for the church as far as Pike Road and Montgomery. Fell in love with the, the atmosphere and the people and the church itself. Both of our children have been dedicated and what we've watched over the years is while leadership has changed and while even some friends in membership have changed, what hasn't is the dedication of the church body that is here to pour into our kids, to have community. It's an environment that is um, is beautiful in that even if the people change over time, the, the environment of community, Christ-centered, and fellowship is, is constant. It's not about the clothes you wear, you know? It's not about how much money you have. It's just reaching your heart, you know? Just just getting people in here to hear the love, the message that's shared here so openly. You see all these people pouring into one another. You just see God's faithfulness to this church and to this area. It's important for the church to have a presence in the community and not just to say, come to where we are, but we're gonna come to where you are. And it's just amazing how Vaughn Forest continues to use their resources and open their doors to the schools and the community. So as big as we are and as big as we've been, it's still always been a family. Vaughn Forest has done a really great job over the years of prioritizing small groups and Bible studies and and being in the Word. Having that level of priority for the discipleship and the growth of the members while simultaneously being outwardly focused. So um, it's been a, it's been a, uh, a sweet place for our family to be for a long time. 
we know that um, God has a plan and we're excited to see that plan unfold. But we know that in this moment that we're, um, we have great leadership and that they're taking care of things and, and really you know, helping us prepare the way for what's to come. And it was something about this church that I knew God was present. And I know He's present even now. Even in this, 30 years later. I truly believe that the best days are ahead and I'm excited to see the doors that God is gonna open for our church. Just greater things ahead. It's exciting to see what God's going to do in the future. I rejoice. I rejoice in what God has done in and through Fawn Forest. But more so, I rejoice for what God will do in and through Fawn Forest in the future. Amen. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this special celebration. Uh, Nick Wells, your ultra-talented video artist, put that together, and Nick, A+. If you have your Bible, please find Matthew chapter 4. These are our unchanging marching orders. We'll start in verse 18 in a moment. But we've come before the Lord today to do three things, to remember. Remember what God has done. We've come to rejoice in the goodness and grace of God because he called us to be part of the team. And we've come to recommit to what the Lord wants to do with this church in the future as we recommit to serving and loving King Jesus, our Savior. Uh, that's the goal. But let's start with remember. Any of y'all deal with forgetfulness? Anybody uh, forgetful? Yeah, uh, I resemble that comment. The man who helped guide the foundation and future of this church was Dr. John McCrumman. I asked Dr. McCrumman, who had been a longtime Baptist pastor and president of Judson College for 20 years, to head up the group that would form Vaughn Forest. He headed the 17-person steering committee, and he started that in February of 1992, a long time ago. Well, Dr. McCrumman was one of the all-time cool guys. And I just loved him. He retired. He loved to play golf. So I moved over here to Wind Lakes and he uh, took his Bible in one hand and his golf clubs in the other. What a guy. And uh, he, he was having a grand time, but he told the funniest story. He was preaching for me one day and, and he said here, because he was getting older, he was getting a little forgetful and he needed memory devices. A anybody relate? And he said, here was their ritual. When he would wake up in the morning, he had this gorgeous, precious wife named Kitty. And uh, he, he would wake up and Kitty would kind of wake up and here's what he would do. He would take Kitty's thumb and say, good morning, my angel. He would kiss her next finger and say, good morning, my darling. Good morning, my sweetheart. Good morning, my sugar plum. He said generally, by the time he got to her little finger, he could remember her name. <laughs> Okay, I, I, can I can relate. Man, all right, so what have we come to do? We've come to do what God has encouraged us to do, and that is to remember, remember what he has done in and through these last 30 years. Now, that's biblical. It's called an Ebenezer because we're forgetful. God says, establish Ebenezers. I wear one called a wedding ring. <laughs> that wedding ring is a reminder 
of my commitment to my wife. We have a lot of Ebenezer's that surround us in Joshua chapter four, when God guided the children of Israel out of the wilderness and he guided them into receiving that new promised land. They were getting ready to cross the Jordan River and he reenacted what he did at the Red Sea. He stacked up the water miraculously. And when all of the children of Israel, one million strong came to the other side, God said, Joshua, go get 12 big stones and place them here on the side of this river. And when your children ask, what do those stones mean? You tell them what I have done because we are forgetful. So we need to remember. All right, let, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you how this church got started. I was so privileged to be part of the heart of it. Uh, I was the pastor assistant, the associate at First Baptist Montgomery from 1981 to 84. And then God called us to go to Alexandria, Virginia in Metro Washington, DC. Went up there, saw a great revival and revitalization of the church. And, and the Lord codified in me the game plan for a church. And, and to keep it simple, I called it, bring them in, build them up, send them out. Bring them in is evangelism. Build them up, that's discipleship. Send them out is to do missions and ministry. So while in Alexandria, I had the privilege of helping start two churches. And they boomed, they were thriving. So when I came to Montgomery to be the pastor in 1991, God called us back here. I wanted to help start another church because I'd read the church history and the last time First Baptist Montgomery, which was formed in 1829 and is the original Baptist church in the region, and a lot of the churches traced their origin back to First Baptist, but it had been since 1954 when the church started another church plant. That was the Normandale Baptist Church a long time ago. So I thought, let, let's start something. Talk is cheap, so I decided to put $25,000 in the 1992 budget and I had a talk with a wonderful man named Burke Sylvest in our church. He was the head of our missions team. And he said, yes, let's do it. And a guy named Buddy McGahan. And uh, Neil Hughes is here today. And he was the contemporary, that version back then, 30 years ago of Neil Hughes. And, and so we got together and we made a plan. And, and we decided to ask uh, Dr. McCrumman to be the head of this committee. Had 17 teammates. And the first meeting. The first meeting at First Baptist in Bell Chapel, we had 78 people show up to support it. And the next thing you know, that church was sailing. And it was born after we called the first pastor, a guy named Dr. Lawrence Phipps. From First Baptist Enterprise, Lawrence was one of my best friends. We housed him. Uh, his office was at First Baptist Church in Montgomery. We even gave the church a baby shower when it got started at AUM. February of 1993, this very Sunday, 30 years ago, and the church started soaring. 82 members of First Baptist left because we bring them in, build them up, and send them out. That's how it really works. That's how God works. So what we did is we saw this church begin to thrive and flourish here in East Montgomery. The first meeting was at AUM. Next thing you know, we, the association, see, we do better as a team. We can do a lot more as a team. The Montgomery Baptist Association bought 22 acres of land right here and gifted it to Vaughn Forest. And that's how this church had a place to come and to develop. And the next thing you know, and this is amazing, Lawrence Phipps, one of the great church architects, 
that is in America. He laid all the foundation. And within no time, the church had gone from literally in the 80s to 185 members. 307 people were in Sunday school, led by a guy named Malin Polk, a Sunday school genius, and had baptized 22 and had a budget of $380,000. Now that is God at work. Those are astonishing numbers for any church start. And what are you continuing to do? For the last three decades, you have been a lighthouse for the gospel. You have been a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have done a phenomenal job in building and growing the kingdom of God. And, And I'm here as somebody who has watched you from the ground floor to say, I love you. I admire you, and I'm a kingdom partner with you. So that is what we're going to do today. Number one, remember, and then we're going to rejoice in what God's done through his goodness and grace. But here's the big thing. My message title, and I think you've got a message there in front of you if you want to take a few notes, is hats off to the past. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done, but coats off to the future. We got more work to do, amen? Is Montgomery one? No. Is our culture going the right direction? No. It seems like we're speeding to hell when heaven is available. So we're calling people off that broad road to destruction onto that narrow way of following Jesus every day. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to reset the play and give you some basic instructions that will form a recommitment for your future. Um, I, I believe, I believe that your future is simply more, more kingdom building, more evangelizing, more discipling, more ministry, more mission, more. Because it says in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that God wants to do more than we can think, ask, or imagine when we faithfully follow him. To set that up, let me tell you a funny story about a guy named Ben. All right, now Ben, I grew up in uh, Georgetown, Texas. Ben is this really cool, funny guy. Let's look at Ben's picture. He's from Odessa. He made a whole bunch of money in oil, but working around all that oil field equipment, he grew deaf. Let's keep Ben's picture up for a minute because I want you to understand, Ben was very, very wealthy, and Ben was so deaf, he could not hear thunder. Well, he heard that in Dallas, there was a new ultrasonic hearing aid and it could restore your hearing. So he went from Odessa over to Dallas and it was super expensive, but he could afford it. He bought this hearing aid and and the doctor fitted him with it. And he said, Ben, try it out for a month and then come back and tell me how you're hearing. So, So Ben got this hearing aid. He went back to Odessa. He came back in a month. And do you know what happened? The doctor said, Ben, how are you hearing? Ben said, Doc, it is a miracle. I hear perfectly. He said, oh, Ben, that's so wonderful. I bet your family is very excited. He said, actually, they do not know yet. (laughs) The doctor said, what do you mean your family doesn't know yet? He said, yeah, Doc, all I do is sit around and listen. I've changed my will three times. (laughs) Now that should be the goal of every worship service. 
You should hear the living word of God and change your will to align with his word. Amen? Amen. That's how it should work. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hear God's living word and then make this note. What do you do? You learn it to live it. You learn it to live it. You see, Jesus said, those who practice my word and those who do the will of my father are my disciples. If you love me, he said, obey my truth. James 1.22 says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only who fools yourself. Years ago, I spent a summer with a man named Henry Blackaby who wrote this amazing book called Experiencing God. I helped live that in the summer of 1975 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And Henry's theme was, find where God is at work and join him. Go do it. Don't just sit around. Go and do something in the name of Jesus that will make an eternal difference. So we're going to learn this to live it. Listen to what Jesus said. I'm going to reset very quickly the four basic foundational tasks of the church And specifically, they constitute our assignments for the future. Let's begin in Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Scripture says, when you follow Jesus, you do certain things. You become like Jesus. You represent him in this world. You become his light in the darkness. You become his truth among the lies. You become his love among the hate. And it's all about building the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. That's why in Matthew 6, this is the second part. When you follow Jesus, what do you do? You seek to grow his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. And then you express seeking the kingdom of God by doing the great commandment of Jesus. The great commandment of Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And the final part of what God expects of you and of me is you do what he says. You go and make disciples of all nations. No one is to be left out. Everybody counts. Everybody matters because Jesus died for the world. And then you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, you make them part of the team. And then what do you do? You teach them everything that Jesus taught you. But do you do it alone? No. Jesus said, wherever you go, I will go with you. So these four components of following Jesus are our essentials. They're non-negotiables. And they are enduring throughout the rest of your life. This is the purpose of my life, of your life, of this church. And we can do it better when we do it together. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you as followers of Jesus to continue to create and maintain a culture with three components. 
And, and the first one, if you'll fill in the blank, encouragement. There are going to be three E's, encouragement. God's model of encouragement is a man named Barnabas. As a matter of fact, he is my model for being a pastor because Barnabas followed Jesus so effectively, he, he becomes somebody I can totally relate to. He is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Antioch. Now, Antioch was a place about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and Barnabas was given the assignment of representing Jesus there in Antioch. Oh, he was an amazing guy. If you look on your worksheet there, you see in Acts 4, our first meeting of Barnabas in the Scripture. His name then was not Barnabas. Matter of fact, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. You see, Joseph was renamed for his chief characteristic. He was so uplifting, so encouraging that he was renamed. May I ask you a question? If your family or your friends were given the assignment to give you a new name that reflected your core characteristic, what would be your new name? Intriguing thought, isn't it? I have a, I have a son-in-law and uh, married to my, um, I have a brother-in-law married to my sister-in-law and they live in Wisconsin. And my sister-in-law, her name is Susie Simmons Yane. But do you know what her daddy has always called her? Susie Sunshine. Because Susie never stops smiling. Man, you just feel the radiation of her smile when she walks into the room. Anybody here named Susie? Would they call you Susie Sunshine? Or is there anybody here named Stormin' Norman? <laughs> or how about Cynical Sid? <laughs> or Sarcastic Sally? What if you were named for your chief characteristic, the primary way you related to others? You see, here's the great need, friend. The great need in our culture, the great need in the body of Christ is to lift people up. Why? Because people have been put down. They're broken. They're hurting. That's nothing new. Jesus said in Matthew 9, as he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he said, all the people here are like sheep without a shepherd. They're hurt, they're wounded, they're confused, they're lost, and they need help. They need not put down, they need to be lifted up. You see, that should be the goal of authentic Christianity. We're not here to see through people, we're here to see each other through. That's why the church exists. You need encouragement. I thrive on encouragement. Let me ask you this. Which do you respond better to? A pat on the back or a kick in the britches. Now they're only 18 inches apart, but I can tell you they are miles apart and the results they create, amen? You bet. So we need to be lifted up, not to be put down. The very word encouragement is parakaleia. It's the very word for the Holy Spirit that Jesus used in John chapter 15 and 16. Parakaleia means, you hear, it's a compound word, para. You come parallel to somebody, you come alongside of somebody, and kaleo means to call. You come alongside somebody who is hurt, knocked down, disoriented, and you call them up to follow Jesus. Um, let me tell you a great story about Abraham Lincoln. As I said, for seven years, I was in Alexandria, Virginia. I was 
two and a half miles from the Potomac River. We had a lot of people that worked over in Washington, D.C. And uh, there was a guy that uh, I just really came to know and appreciate. He worked over at the Library of Congress. And one day he was touring me through the Library of Congress and he said, Jay, let me show you something that not many people see. Up on the second floor, there's a showcase and it has the contents of the pockets of Abraham Lincoln the night he died. I said, that's amazing. So we went up there and looked at it. And do you know what Abraham Lincoln had in his pockets on the night of April 15th, 1865? That's when he went to the Ford Theater and John Wilkes Booth shot him in the back of the head. He had in his pockets two pair of eyeglasses, a penknife, a writing instrument. He had in his wallet some money, some federal money or union money and some Confederate money, oddly enough. But tucked in the back fold of his wallet, he had four positive editorials about his presidency. It was almost like he had hidden four doses of vitamin E. <laughs> because Lincoln, this man with the backbone of steel who held our nation together, even Lincoln needed the uplift of encouragement, and so do you, and so do I. And that's what I would ask you to be. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas in your family. Be a Barnabas among your friends. Be a Barnabas, an uplifter at your church. We have enough people who are critics, who condemn, who are sarcastic, who put down. Don't be in that category. Let me give you a tip. Would you like to start an epidemic of encouragement? Would you like to revolutionize your relationships? Then here's what you need to do. You need to be a Barnabas to the people around you because Barnabas with his ways and his words uplifted others. Now here's something I've been trying to do for over 50 years. I've been trying to use as my communication default, healing words, healing words helping, hope-filled words. Now, if your vocabulary needs to have an, an excision, an extraction of sarcastic, critical, negative words, this is a great day to make a promise before God that you're gonna start speaking healing words. If you want to change your marriage, you can change it in one week. Here's how it works. Delete all of the negative words, the hurtful words, the barbed words that cut and speak healing words. Identify the best characteristic about your husband or wife and magnify that. And put a little sugar in the tone of your voice when you say it so they know they're, you're sincere and not just being sarcastic. Speak healing words and watch that person bloom like a spring flower. Watch your relationships become restored and you can start an epidemic of encouragement. Then bring that to church. Let that be the flavor of this great church. Live in the key of E, always uplift and encourage. That's what Jesus did. Jesus saw sinners and dreamed of saints. Jesus saw silly Simon and called him Peter the Rock. He saw the potential in him, and that's how I want to be. I want to be someone who sees through Jesus' lenses and sees the potential in the people around me, starting with my family, my friends, even strangers, see the best in people. 
be God's Barnabas. All right, let's go to number two. Let's create a culture of encouragement. And then secondly, let's create a culture of evangelism. God's model for evangelism is a Jesus man named Philip. Philip. We find a story in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, Scripture tells us, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. All right, now here is Philip. He's a follower of Jesus, one of the original deacons. And because Stephen had been stoned, there was a scattering of the persecuted church. And he goes over to that place called Samaria. That's where Jesus in John 4 met the woman at the well. And here he is just telling everybody about Jesus because everybody counts. And he is having this revival. People are coming to him. But the Holy Spirit of God knocks on the door of his attention. And Philip, of course, responds by saying, Yes, sir. What do you want me to do, Lord? And he says, I want you to leave the revival going on here in Samaria and go down to this desert road. And I want you to find somebody that's looking for me. So Philip obeys. And what happens? Then Philip, he met a man from Ethiopia who had traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to seek God, bought a scroll, the book of Isaiah, and he was headed back home. And Philip began with that passage, and it was from Isaiah 53, that passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. You know, I want to be a Philip, don't you? I want to be the kind of person who walks around looking for people who are looking for Jesus. Now, I have been very, very blessed, friends. When I came to know the Lord as a young person, I started leading members of my family to know Jesus. Uh, I started a club in my high school, and it went from a few people to 75 people. Saw many of my friends at Georgetown High School give their life to the Lord Jesus. I was called to preach when I was 16, and I've had the privilege of sharing Jesus on five continents. I've seen many, many people come to Christ. So let me just kind of give you my secret sauce on how this works. It's really simple. I call it CC. Do you know what I try to do? I go around looking for people who are looking for Jesus. And the first C is I connect and then communicate. I connect and then I communicate with them. Because Jesus said, what? Follow me and let's go fishing. Hey, anybody here like to go fishing? Anybody? Do we have any fisher people? Man, I was fishing this last week. Oh, man, I catch a lot of fish. Matter of fact, I catch a whole lot of fish. Uh, one, one of my favorite things to do is fish for over 20 years. I had a, a fishing show on our first Baptist broadcast called The Fishing Mission. But uh, this guy and I would generally go out. This is a special picture. I had a friend who lived down on Mount Zion Road. And, oh, 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 but um, oh, not that one yet. Not that one yet. Hold that one back. I'm still fishing. And man, we would go down there, and I guarantee you, in two hours, we would catch over 100 bass. And my buddy Calvin Williams would feed them to the Abraham Baptist Church. They would have a church fish fry over our fishing. So I'm telling you, I love to catch fish. Now, let me see a show of hands. Raise your hands if you go fishing. Do you like to go fishing? Okay. Have you caught any? Are you really a fisherman if you don't ever catch any? Come on. Are you really a fisherman if you don't ever catch any? 
Now, Jesus said, follow me, and what are we going to do? We're going to go fishing. Now, the reason I like that is because when I catch a fish, I generally move that fish from life to death. That fish is going to hit the grease, you know? We're going to have fish fry. But when I catch somebody for Jesus, do you know what happens to them? I move them from death to life. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But when I come to know the Lord Jesus, I'm transformed. I'm converted. I move from death to life. You see, that's why I go fishing for people. Now, here, when I go fishing for people, I try to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said to the Jew, I try to be a Jew. To the Greek, I try to be a Greek. I'm all things to all men to win some. And that's how I try to operate. Man, I can be as redneck as, as you want to be. I can hunt and fish, and, uh, and yet I got a doctorate. I'm relatively intellectual, I guess. I can kind of be whoever. I can be highbrow, lowbrow, nobrow. Because I want to connect to people so that that bridge I built to their heart, Jesus can walk from my spirit to theirs. You see, that's the goal. So you begin by connecting. How do you do that? Oh, it's so easy. What did Jesus do in John chapter 4 when he met the woman who had come to the well at noon? He just started asking her questions, didn't he? And friend, that's how you do. Most people's favorite topic is to talk about themselves. <laughs> so all you do is just ask them some questions. Say, oh, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your interests. You pull for Alabama or Auburn. T tell me, uh, when you go to church, where do you go? And then you get down after you've talked a while to that serious question. You know, if something were to happen to you and you were to die, do you think you would go to heaven? And those simple questions will open people up like a flower. And, and then once, once they communicate with you, what do you do? Just tell about what Jesus has done for you. Jesus radically saved me. And I tell what my life was like before Jesus, how I came to know Jesus, and what difference he makes now, before, how, and now. My testimony. I do what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. Be my witness. All right, that is our goal. Now, let me pull that all together by telling you a quick story about a guy named Steve Sweet. Okay, Steve Sweet picture. So here I am, one day just out playing golf with the chairman of our deacons, a guy named Jeff Holland, one of the all-time best guys. So me and Jeff are hitting a few golf balls at the Robert Trent Jones course over in Prattville, and the starter says, would you mind if somebody joins you? And I always love that. <laughs> and I said, sure. So this fellow named Steve Sweet, who is from Iowa, and he technically had been for 30 years a teacher in Seattle. Uh, he had come down as a snowbird, and he was staying in the warmth of Alabama. And so he joins us. He's a good golfer. And, uh, but when he hit, hit a, a bad shot, you know what he would say? Mm, a whole string of cuss words. Any of y'all do that when you play golf? Oh, I hope not. And so about the third time he let out this whole trail of cuss words, I said, hey, hey, buddy, I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church here for many years. And before you dig a really deeper hole, I just wanted you to know that. He said, oh, blankety blank. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> he was just programmed to cuss. And I was before I came to Jesus, so I could relate. And, and so we started talking and I found out all about him as we were playing. And do you know what I discovered? I discovered that he didn't know Jesus. 
He said he kind of had gone to the Catholic church when he was a young guy, but hadn't gone to church for 30 years. And, but he kind of thought he might be a Christian because he had um, taken his first communion. So I listened to him and we talked and, oh, we had a wonderful conversation. And then do you know what happened? I, I noticed that his eyes, his eyes, he couldn't see the Gothal. And I said, Steve, may I look at your eyes? And he had two occlusions or cataracts in his eyes. And I said, man, are you driving at night? I can't imagine that you should be driving. And he said, I, I shouldn't be, but I do. But I can't find an ophthalmologist to see me. I said, what if I call an ophthalmologist friend of mine and get you an appointment with him tomorrow? He said, are you kidding me? I, I, I couldn't thank you enough. So I called Dr. Ricky Dobbs and at his noonday lunch period, Ricky saw Steve Sweet and he helped him get cataracts done. I took him to the operation. I brought him to my house afterwards and I connected with Steve. I made a little bridge and, and, and I shared Jesus with him. Ricky and I both said, Steve, the reason we're doing this is because we loved you and we love Jesus and we want you to know him. So do you know what happened some time ago? Steve gave his life to Christ and he was baptized over at First Baptist Church. Me and Mark Bethay baptized that man. You see, we caught him and he moved from death to life. He's enrolled in my Sunday school class and he is walking with the Lord. Oh, that's what the Lord wants us to do. Go find people who need Jesus. And lastly, lastly, one more thing, almost finished. Create and maintain a culture of encouragement, evangelism, and endurance. Endurance. We have all noted that life is hard. It's rarely downhill and shady. It's uphill and difficult. So our model for endurance is a man named Paul. Here is my byword. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's my theme song, I press on. Friends, I'm just like you. I've walked through a many a difficulty and valley in my 69 years. I've had health problems, I've had relational issues. You know, we've had staph infection at church. Have you ever had staph infection? <laughs> I mean, come on, we've had it all. And you can either sit down and feel tired, give in, give up, when your marriage is not going right, when your kid gets off course, when you lose the job, when you have a financial reversal, what do you do? How do you respond? With Paul, you say, I press on. I think Paul was one of the toughest men who ever walked on the planet. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you hear from his resume what he experienced. He said, I've been persecuted. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been imprisoned. And did he quit? No. He continued to press on and he only stopped sharing Jesus when they cut off his head. Otherwise, he was unstoppable. My friends, here's what I call you to do. Endure. I, I believe some of you perhaps right now, right here in this place, have been called to this moment because you're on the edge of quitting maybe quitting on a dream, quitting on your marriage, quitting on your family, maybe quitting on the Lord. I wanna call you to not give up, but to get up and to say, I will press on in Jesus' name. The completing story that pulls us all together. My, my favorite story about enduring like Paul comes from my own family. 
I have a son named Jay III, and I did his wedding 20 years ago to a beautiful girl named Catherine, Catherine Arnold. They met at Samford University. She was Miss Samford, runner-up Miss Alabama. He's a really bright guy. They wanted to go to California. He got into Pepperdine Law School. She started modeling and acting. Been a, a model uh, since she was 16. And everything was going fantastic. Uh, they were there three years. My son was about to graduate from law school. Literally the last day of law school class, they had a little baby. They were part of a church. They were the head of the young married a couples department that had 200 members in it. And Catherine, out of the blue, is struck by a stroke. My son, by the orchestration of God, comes home at noon to pick up a paper he forgot, and he found Catherine lying in a pool of vomit and paralyzed from the waist down dying. The seven-month-old baby was asleep in the back. He calls 911, and then he calls me. They rush her to UCLA Hospital. They do 16 hours of surgery. She takes 85 units of blood. She died on the table six times. I jumped on a plane. I got to California as the doctor came out of the surgery. Now, my son, Jace, because he's part of the body of Christ like this, he asked that everybody come and pray. And there were 40 people from their Sunday school class, their Life Connect group that prayed all night in the lobby of UCLA Hospital. They were holding on to the Lord. They were begging God to spare Catherine. That's the only reason she lived. The doctor came out. His name was Dr. Nestor Gonzalez. He came out from surgery and he simply said, she lived, but I only give her a 1% chance to remain alive. And if she does remain alive, she will be a mental vegetable and a quadriplegic. You cannot imagine the pain of that statement. We went to the chapel and for 30 minutes, my son buried his head in my shoulder and cried his eyes out. It seemed like we had lost it all. We could hardly believe it. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Did we give up or did we press on? Well, that night, I actually took that picture of Catherine. And that night, Catherine was in a medically induced coma. I went up to see her. A friend named Andy Birchfield flew all the way out from Montgomery. And we went to see Catherine. And, and Andy and I met the nurse. And this nurse named Beverly Darby said, Pastor Jay, Catherine is responding to verbal commands. <laughs> I said, brother, that's impossible. She's in a medically induced coma. She told me, go get your son. He needs some hope. We ran down seven flights of stairs. We got my son, Jace, and we stood there at 9.40 p.m. in the neurointensive care unit, and that nurse said to Catherine, Catherine, if you can move your left hand again, raise it up because your husband needs some hope. And she raised up her left hand in a V. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just watched Lazarus come out of the tomb. God did it. And we knew that she wasn't a quadriplegic. We knew that she wasn't a mental vegetable. We knew that God was going to do something special. But did they give up? No. This is my favorite picture. It's my son. During the rehab process, taking Catherine, she was in a rehab hospital for two years. It was a slow motion miracle. And he, he would 
be with her at every one of the rehabs. And then afterwards, they would go out and they would walk. And when she would run out of gas, he put her on his back. And he would carry her back to the car. Friend, I did their wedding. I know what love looks like. But this is what love really looks like. You see, 96% of the people who have a traumatic brain injury in their marriage get a divorce. They throw in the towel. They give in. They quit. But they did not quit. They kept on. In Jesus' name, they pressed on. What's the result? What's the fruit of fortitude? Do you know what Jason and Catherine are doing right now? They are sharing Jesus powerfully all over the country. They have 500,000 followers on social media. Their ministry is called Hope Heals. They have these amazing camp. They call themselves the missionaries to the disabled. They've written three books and signed a giant book contract with HarperCollins, the second largest book publisher in the world. This is the fruit of fortitude. This is what happens when you endure, when you don't quit, when you don't give in, when you say, I'm gonna keep going forward with you, Lord Jesus, in faith. Oh, my friend, that's God's call to us. All right, let me sum it up. Here's your future. Here's your assignment. Create a culture of following Jesus where you have encouragement, evangelism, and endurance. That is the call of God. And he wants you to start that when? Right now, right now. Matter of fact, the last thought is some of you need to move off of a place called Someday Isle. I've met a lot of people as a pastor who live on Someday Isle. They say, yeah, Pastor Jay, someday I'll lose that weight. Someday I'll get my finances in order. Someday I'll start reading and studying the Bible. Someday I'll go on that mission trip. Someday I'll get baptized. Someday I'll join that church. Someday I'll really make a difference for God. May I lovingly tell you that the scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. Now is your right time. I'm here to call you to move off of Sunday aisle and to do the following. Number one, if you have not given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. If your heart stopped beating this afternoon, would you be in heaven? Or, or would you miss heaven? By about 18 inches, that's the difference between your head and your heart. You see, you don't want to miss heaven. You want to give your life to Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. And it's yours for the asking. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Would you come into my life? And he will. And you can be born again. Have you done that? If not, do that today. Do it now. Say, Jesus, I choose you. Have you been baptized? Have you stood for Christ unashamedly? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you one day when it counts. You stand for Jesus. Have you joined his church? He ordered us to start the church and to build it. If you've not become part of the body of Christ, why don't you come today and launch into the next 30 years with this fabulous group of Christ followers? Have you embraced your kingdom assignment of being an encourager, an evangelist, and an endurer? Well, now's the time. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this special opportunity to speak to my beloved friends here at Vaughn Forest Baptist Church. And I pray, Lord, that you would motivate people to come to know you, to grow in you, and to show you to their world as encouraging evangelists who always press on through the storms and difficulties of life. Oh, Father, I give this moment and these friends to you. And I pray that you would call us to truly follow you all the way. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
in just a moment, we'll sing a hymn, a firm foundation, and it could be that you need to respond. And what do you do? Just say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. That's where it starts. If you want to become part of this church, fill out that card. If you want to talk to somebody, some of the ministers will be here. I'll be here at front. But let this be a special time between you and the Lord where God seals this message to your heart and you learn it to live it. God bless you.